Okay, I'm going to put two pictures up on the screen. That's me, age four, at about age seven or so. And I'm putting these two pictures on the screen because I want to give you some context for the story that I'm about to tell you, but also because I will freely admit this is the cutest I've ever been in my entire life. (laughs) I'm telling you guys, it is tough to peak in kindergarten. There is a lot of life left. Some of you guys are still on the uphill uh, track, and me, it was like all downhill from about five on. So I've never looked better than I did in that tuxedo at that moment. That was at my dad's wedding, and uh, yeah. Then I was at seven, and you can already see, you know, I mean, I'm cute, but not as cute, and there it goes, right? This is my burden to bear in life. Now, somewhere, thank you, they still love me, I appreciate that. Somewhere in between this time frame, age four, age seven, I think I was five, I could have been six, maybe something like that. I was living in Los Angeles with my family, and we used to go to the beach all the time. It was fantastic. I mean, it was just so great living close to beautiful, gorgeous, like, OC beaches, right? And so one day, my family decided, we're going to go to Huntington Beach. It was my favorite beach to go to. Um, the, you know, the weather was a little iffy, but we decided, let's try it out. Let's go anyway. And so we packed up the family car. We drove. It was my dad, my mom, my younger sister, and myself. And so we get to the beach, and we're enjoying the sand, enjoying the surf, just having a blast. And uh, midway through the afternoon, I decided I needed to go to the bathroom. And so my mom said, okay, I'll take you over to the public washroom, and uh, you can do your business. And so she took me to a building that looks an awful lot like this. If you've ever been to a beach before, they kind of have these concrete block public washrooms. They're not super fancy, certainly not air-conditioned. And in fact, the one that I used on this particular day way back in like 1980, sort of been 85, something like that, um, the, the building itself had a gap, much like the one you see in the picture, probably about two feet, three feet, something like that between the roof and the walls. And the reason is so that there's some airflow, so that some of the more obnoxious smells can just filter out. I mean, you understand. So I go into one of the stalls, and I'm doing my little thing there, and I start looking at the wall, and I notice the gap up above between the roof line and the concrete block wall, and I start thinking to myself, I could climb that. I could climb that wall, go right through that little opening, and then meet my mom out the front. She'll be like, how did you get out here, you know? And I'll try to convince her I'm magic or something. I mean, I was five. What do you expect? And so I thought, this is a great idea. So I started climbing, and the wall was just so that there were enough handholds. And you can ask my wife, to this day, I love climbing. I'll climb on top of anything, anytime, anywhere. I just have this compulsive need to stand on top of things, right? So I climb up. I roll through that gap between the the door, I mean, rather the wall and the roof, and I get to the ground, and I think to myself, okay, this is the way to go. And I start walking, and it occurs to my little five, six-year-old brain, I know how to get back to mom and dad. I know where we were at. I don't need to wait on her. I'll find my own way. And so I just walked. And I was certain I was going the right way for about 10 minutes. And then I realized... I don't think I'm going the right way anymore. And I'm wandering, and I've got bare feet, and the sand is hot. And of course, to a four-year-old, walking 10 minutes feels like you've been walking for 10 hours. And so, or a five, six-year-old, however old I was. And so I started to get nervous, you know, because I knew I had gone the wrong way, but I wasn't totally sure if I should turn around and go back the other way, like double back, try to figure out where I got off course. I just didn't know. And so what did I do? I just kept right on walking. Now, I was confused. 
I clearly chose the wrong direction to walk. I thought I knew which way I should go, but I honestly had no clue. I was scared. I was scared because there were all these things running through my mind, like, what happens if I don't find them? What's going to happen to me? Am I just going to become a beach bum? Is that where beach bums come from? They're just kids. They get lost at some point, and they grow up with the seals. I don't know. And I started getting scared because I thought to myself, dad's going to be mad. Oh, he's going to be so mad at me. I knew I was supposed to go right in, go right out, meet mom at the front door. He is going to punish my backside. Oh, this is not good. So not only was I uh, you know, confused and scared, I was also really embarrassed. I mean, I, I remember being that, that age and walking across the sand, <laughs> crying, ugly crying, you know, and I'm saying to myself, how could I let this happen? How could I be so dumb? I thought I knew which way to go. Now I'm lost forever. Woe is me. What's going to happen, right? Then, unbeknownst to me, of course, my parents are also freaking out, as you can imagine. My mom waits for me, and I don't come out. Finally, she does what every good mom would do. She just walks right into the men's room. She's like, fellas, it's okay. I'm looking for my son. She doesn't find me in there. And she thinks, okay, I bet I know what that little joker did. He probably snuck out and made his way back to our little blanket, our little section of beach. And so she walked the correct direction back to where my dad and sister were. And of course, I wasn't there. And in that moment, the day flipped for them. Because it wasn't about enjoying the beach It wasn't about a family day off. It wasn't about relaxing. In that moment, the only thing that mattered to my mom and dad was the fact that one of their kids was missing, that they had now all of a sudden been given something new that they needed to deal with, something that they had to address. They could not ignore at all. Do you understand? If you've ever had a lost child, you do know what this is like, even if it's just for a few moments. Nothing else matters in that moment, does it? Nothing else matters. Who cares that the day at the beach is shot? Who cares that, you know, people might think you're a bad parent because you're running around calling your kid's name? None of that matters. When you have a lost child, the only thing that you care about is finding them, locating them, rescuing them, saving them. And so my parents went to the lifeguard station and they said, our kid's been missing. By this point, it was like 20, 30 minutes. And they were like, you've got to help us. And so the lifeguards do what they do. They start radioing down the tower. Lifeguards come down. They're walking around trying to find this little boy. Now, I saw lifeguards. I saw them, but I was scared to go to them because they were authority figures, right? And I thought, oh man, if they find me, they're gonna bring me back and it would be like getting caught by the police and bringing back to dad. He's gonna be so mad. I'm, I'm gonna avoid them. So I actually wandered away from the lifeguard because I just couldn't imagine that things would turn out well if these professional search and rescue guys had to come get me. Finally, after almost an hour, I had gone two kilometers down the beach by myself, And finally, there was this lady that chased me down, and she said, are you lost? And I broke down even further, and I finally admitted, yeah, I'm lost, and I need somebody to help. Somebody has got to reunite me with my dad. Somebody has got to help me figure out where I went wrong and what I can do because I don't want to be a beach bum. So she brought me to the lifeguard, and the lifeguard They brought me back to my parents, and my parents weren't mad. 
In fact, we loaded everything up into the car, we drove home, and on the way, we stopped and got ice cream. Why? Because this wasn't a time to get mad. This wasn't a time to punish. This was a time to celebrate. A kid who had been lost and truly in danger had all of a sudden been found. They were thrilled to death that in that moment, they had their child back. And so we celebrated, man. I thought I was going to get in tons of trouble for that. I never even got punished. It was like the best stupid thing I ever did in my life. It really, really was. Now, I want to make a statement that some of you might find surprising, particularly if you're here and you don't have much of a religious background, you've never read the Bible, and that's totally cool. We all start somewhere. Don't sweat that. But I want to make a statement that might actually surprise you, and it's this. The Bible presents God as a father searching for his lost children. Did you know that? That's actually one of the pictures, one of the metaphors that the Bible gives us as to who God is and what he wants to do in this world. In fact, if you go to Luke chapter number 15, Jesus himself tells three stories. And the point of these stories is to illustrate God as a parent looking for a lost child or as a person who is looking for something he uh, has lost that is of great value to him. So we're going to be in Luke 15 in just a moment, but here's what we're going to do. There are three parables that are told. I'm going to quickly give you the highlights of two of them, and then we're going to read one together. Before I do that, let me explain to you what a parable is. A parable is a story that Jesus told in which he's trying to illustrate some truth about God and himself. These are earthly stories with heavenly meanings. And in every single parable you read, Jesus told dozens and dozens them. It's his main teaching tactic. And in every single one of these, the parable has a character who is supposed to represent God and a character who is supposed to represent you or me. Does that make sense? So every time you read a parable, you need to be thinking to yourself, who is God in this story and what is he doing? How is he acting? How is he treating the people around him? And then you need to be asking, who is me? Who am I in this story? Who represents me? And do I see myself in this person? So Luke 15, Jesus tells these three parables. Um, in the first one, in the most famous one, we're going in reverse order, but that doesn't matter. In the first one, he tells a story of the lost son, or sometimes we call it the prodigal son. Perhaps you've heard that story before. It's essentially the tale of a young man who decides after he graduates high school that he is going to go live it up. He takes money from his dad, he moves to another province, and he just throws down, man. He parties day in and day out. There is nothing he will not try. There is nobody he will not spend the night with. I mean, he lives it up. And after a couple years, he spent all his money, his friends have all left him, he's got nothing and nowhere to turn. And so he decides, maybe I should go home. Maybe I am lost and I need to return to my father. And so he starts on the journey home, but unbeknownst to him, the father recognizes that his son is coming. And so the father runs out to meet his son. And rather than punishing him, he gets him ice cream. Not exactly, but like when you read the story, they have a huge party. This was a, a, like a first century Middle Eastern throwdown, a party like this town had never seen because a child who was lost had been found. Jesus tells a second story, and it's not about a father and a son. It's about a woman and a lost coin, okay? 
And in this story, God is represented by this woman. And she loses a very valuable coin. She has 10 of these coins. She's saving them up for an inheritance or a savings. And she loses one of the coins in her house. And so Jesus says, what do you think this woman's going to do when she realizes her coin is missing? Of course, she's going to search for it. She's going to get a a lamp or a flashlight. And she's going to sweep under the couch. And she's going to chase down the kids and make sure they didn't swipe it. I mean, this lady is going to find her coin. And she eventually does find this coin. And so she calls all of her friends together. And she says, let's have a dinner party. Because the coin that I had lost, the thing that was so valuable to me, has finally been found. Now, we're going to read this third parable together. And it's going to launch us into this series that we're going to do for the next month called We Can't Stay Here. And the idea behind this is that I believe God is calling Connect to do more than what we're doing now. We're doing very, very good things, wonderful, beautiful, life-changing, city-shaking things. But we can't stay here. We can't get complacent. There is still more to be done, and we're going to be talking about that over the next few days. So let's read Luke chapter number 15, verses 1 to 7 here. Somewhere this morning, you guys, I lost my Bible. That's a terrible thing as a pastor. I don't know where I set it down. That's okay. Luckily, the verses are here on the screen. So if you don't have a Bible this morning, who cares? The pastor doesn't even have one. Here we go. We're going to read together. The Bible says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. Wow, isn't that an interesting statement? Notorious sinners like to come listen to Jesus teach. One of the most fascinating things about the life and teachings of Jesus is that people who were nothing like him really liked him. You might be here this morning and you don't like church. You don't like church people. That's okay. I'm with you on a lot of that. But there is something compelling about the person of Jesus. And so I'm going to encourage you not to give a hearing to me or to connect church. Can I just challenge you to give a hearing to Jesus? You might find out you like the things he has to say. So this made the Pharisees and the uh, teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, (gasps) even eating with them. I mean, the horror. Can you believe that? Pharisees were like really religious people. They were the extra, extra religious people. They thought they were better than everybody because they were so religious. Thankfully, there are no Pharisees today, right? All right. So to these people who were obnoxious and didn't like the fact that Jesus was going after people who you know, didn't belong in, in the traditional church, Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found this lost sheep, will he not joyfully carry it home on his shoulders? And then when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, Jesus says, there is more joy in heaven over one lost person who repents and returns to God than over 99 other people who are righteous and haven't strayed away in the first place. Wow, that is a powerful story. There are a lot of things that we could pull out. We're going to pull out a pattern that's true of this parable. It's true of the other two that we've talked about. And it's true of Jesus and God throughout the scriptures. The first thing that we see here is that God searches. God searches for people. He is like a parent who has lost his child. He is like a a shepherd who has lost his most valuable sheep. He is like a woman who has lost her inheritance, and he will do anything he can to find that lost one. He's active. He doesn't just say, eh, you know, no big deal. I got 99 other sheep. 
I got nine other coins. I have one other son who didn't run away. I could, you know, one out of two ain't bad. I could, I could live with that. No, when you're a parent and your child is gone, nothing else matters until you find them. Not even the one who was where they were supposed to be in that moment. This, this parable and all the others like it, they tell us that God is willing to leave the saved in order to search for the lost. He is willing to leave behind people who don't need to be found, if that's what it takes in order to go seek the lost. The lost, people who are wandering, people who are hurting, people who are asking deep questions, people who want relationship with something more. God is more concerned with them than anyone else. So let me tell you, if you're here as a visitor and you don't have any like context for this, you're like, I have never been in a church like this. I haven't set foot in church ever or since I was a little kid. God is more excited that you are here than I'm here. Do you believe that? You better because that's what Jesus himself said. God is like, of course Dan's there. He gets paid to show up. You gave up your Sunday. And that makes your father so, so happy. God is always searching. He's always searching. We don't have time to get into this, but like you start in the book of Genesis in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, and we find that even when we hide ourselves, God seeks us. He calls out to us. He says, Adam and Eve, where are you? I want to find you. And he did it throughout the Old Testament. He does it throughout the New Testament. Guess what? He does it in 2018 in the city of Calgary as well. God searches. Did you notice this parable says, if you've got 100 sheep and one of them's gone, you'll leave behind the lost in order to go find, you'll leave behind the, the found, the saved, in order to go find the one that is lost. If every parable is supposed to picture God and you, who do you think you are? Of course you're the sheep. And who do you think God is? He's the shepherd who's willing to leave behind the ones who think they have it all together to go after the one who's willing to admit they're lost and they need rescue. God searches. God succeeds. I love this. God succeeds. It says, won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost? When? How long? When does he stop? When he finds it. God does not quit searching for lost people. He doesn't quit. He doesn't go until he gets tired. He's like, well, I looked for a while. What are you going to do? He doesn't go until he loses hope. It's just been too long. I mean, I've been calling this person's name for 30 years, and they haven't responded yet. They're not going to respond. I'll just let it go. No, he doesn't keep searching until somebody says, hey, hey, God, 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 you could probably invest your time in somebody else that would respond a little bit faster. Maybe you should cut your losses. Let them go and go, go take care of the 99 that are actually following after you. No, the scripture says that God will search for people until he finds them. He will not stop pursuing you. Everything that has happened in your life for good, for bad, for boring, everything that has happened in your life has been a part of the plan that God has been using to finally get your attention, to say, I am your father. I'm looking for you. I want to give you the things that you've been searching so desperately for and have never been able to grab a hold of. There is hope for anyone and everyone in Jesus. We often say around here that nobody is too good and nobody is too far gone. Every single one of you are known and loved by your heavenly father. And I'm telling you, he will not quit until the day you die. So you better just get used to the idea that God is going to be hounding you. You are going to have annoying Christians in your life. B, 
because God's not going to give up. You're going to continue to have blessings that come your way because God is trying to say, do you see how much I love you? He's going to continue to send difficult times your way to say, do you see how you can't continue to do life on your own? He will not quit pursuing you. And thank God for that. Now listen, if God never stops pursuing, how dare we? If God never gives up, friends or families, strangers, God help us if we ever get complacent. If we ever say, yeah, we got a theater full, that's pretty good, right? Like, that's enough. Not in God's eyes. God searches, God succeeds, and we see this pattern throughout the Bible. God celebrates. See, he goes searching, and he gets what he wants. He finds the one that he's looking for. And when he does, will he not joyfully carry them home on his shoulders? And when he arrives, will he not say, let's throw a party because this child of mine who was lost is now found. And I'm telling you, when God throws a party, it is a party. You think church parties are like doilies and soft music and finger sandwiches. He's like, no, let's feast. Let's have some wine. Let's dance. Let's have a great time in the same way that you would throw a heck of a party. Almost said something else. You'd throw a heck of a party if your lost child finally came home. If your kid ran away and 25 years later they showed up at the front door, you would be the happiest person in the city. This is who God is. God celebrates when the lost are found. God doesn't celebrate when there's a full auditorium. God doesn't celebrate when the band crushes it like they did this morning. God doesn't celebrate when I preach a good message. God doesn't celebrate when lots of people show up to a food truck rally. You know what gets God hyped? When one person chooses to make a decision to do life with him and to stop doing life on their own. Literally, the Bible says there's a party in heaven for every single one of those decisions. In fact, when Jesus said, he summarized who he was and why he came to earth and what he hoped to accomplish in Luke chapter number 19, verse 10. This is the way he put it. Summarize his mission statement, one sentence. The son of God came to seek and to save those who are lost. That's it. That's all it is. That's why Jesus came. That's what his message was all about. That's what we're trying to do today. Jesus described his own mission as a search party. Now, listen, I, we're going to make our big announcement. I told you there's a big announcement coming up, and I'm going to give it to you here in just a moment. But I want to speak to those of you guys who are with us as guests today. And, and you're like, whoa, <laughs> I didn't expect all this. I didn't expect shouting and jumping in music time. That's not how we used to do it at my old church. And I didn't expect, you know, a pastor who's going to get up and tell a story about how stupid he was at four years old. And, I, you know, this is just not what I expected. This may be totally new information for you. This might be the first time anybody has ever explained God to you. And that might be because you grew up in a home where there were hundreds of gods, right? And your family told you, oh, there's a God for this and a God for that and a God for that and a God for this. And yet when you read the scriptures, you find out there is one God, one Lord, one Father who is over all. And he created you. He loves you, and he wants to help rescue you from the mess that you've created in your own life. That is the teaching of the Bible. Maybe you've heard that God is just an impersonal force, and you can't have a relationship with him, but you might be able to manipulate him to get what you want out of this life or the next. Can I say no, no, no? From the biblical standpoint, God is a father who wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to hug you. He wants to hold you. He wants to help you in every single way. It's not about you. It's about him, but man is it wonderful 
that we get to celebrate and be a part of his family. And so I want you guys to, to at least give Jesus a hearing, to, to think to yourself, okay, if there is a God and he has been searching for me all this time, then I want to do anything and everything I can to reach out to him. Like, yeah, this is a God I could believe in. This is a God that I could devote myself to. I could understand. If this is true, Dan, I can understand why people would get so excited on Sunday mornings. I mean, I could get that. And I'm going to give you the opportunity to respond to your Heavenly Father here in just a moment. But I want to kind of move you through where we're going as a church. Because you can make a decision. You can choose to follow Jesus. And that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. I hope you'll choose to do that. But listen, you are not designed to do life alone. You can't do life on your own. You need other people around you. And so let me talk, talk to you just briefly about what church is, why we do this on Sundays, and then where we're headed in just a few months. Church, you understand, is simply us joining Jesus' rescue party. That's all church is. You thought it was where a bunch of saved sheep got together and patted each other on the back for being saved. That's not it at all. And if you think that's what church should be, I'll point you towards another one in the city because that's not who we are. That's not what we're about. That's not what we're going to do. I mean that very seriously. If you think church is designed to protect your children from all the worldly influences, I love you, but God has bigger plans than protecting your kids. He actually wants to develop and deploy. He wants to release your kids to change the world. But we cannot do that if we're always trying to protect them. Oh my gosh, we need to make sure that they're not influenced. Yes, of course we need to make sure they're not influenced. But we can't do that by isolating and huddling together at the expense of the mission, the rescue party that God has given us, all right? We cannot sit around and congratulate ourselves on the fact that we were found. We didn't have anything to do with being found in the first place. God came after me. We don't have time for anything else besides joining the rescue party. Now, I use that phrase rescue party on purpose because you can understand it one of two ways. I mean, like, it's a rescue party. We're going out and we're seeking for people who are lost and it's a rescue party, you guys. It's a party. Church is fun. Life with other Christians is fun. It's messy, and it's ugly, and sometimes it's obnoxious, but above all else, it is life-giving. It is wonderful. It's like, yeah, this is what I was made, created to do. It is a rescue party who then transforms itself into a rescue party. So listen, the cool thing here at Connect is the party's growing, the party's growing. We launched September of 2016, and uh, my wife and I moved to Calgary in 2015. And when we moved up here at the start of everything, you know how many people were in the church? Two. <laughs> there were two of us. And we're like, how are we ever going to get this thing off the ground? I, I just don't even know. And you know what? We decided we were going to live out the, 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 the active, seeking, passionate, dare I even say frantic love of God, to find people who are lost, who are looking for something more in their life, and to point them towards the one who can meet their deepest needs. So in that time, thank God, we've grown from two to 220 people on Sunday. I almost never tell you, I think it's the second time in two years I've ever talked about how many people come on Sundays because we don't want to celebrate full theaters. We want to celebrate changed lives. So we tell you stories of people who have been changed. I don't really care if the theater's full. I mean, we could do a lot of stuff to fill a theater. That doesn't mean we're moving the rescue mission forward. But man, we celebrate those of you guys that have joined us over the past couple years. And we anticipate that we're going to continue to see the same growth in the future because we are laser focused at finding people who want to be found. 
You may say to yourself this morning, or say to me even, Dan, um, I, I'm not lost. You understand that. You keep talking about me like I'm lost, and that's cool. I, I'm not here to convince you that you are lost. Maybe a couple years down the road, you're going to realize that you need something more, and you'll think back to those of us who said, we found something more in Jesus. Maybe, okay? I'm talking to those of you guys who say, I know where I'm at. I know I'm lost. I know I need help. They're the ones that we're focused on reaching. The rest of you guys have a great Sunday, okay? We've had a ton of faith decisions made. We've had 107 people make decisions for Jesus, either salvations or rededications in two years. Listen, that ain't me. It's not my preaching. It's not the band. There are better preachers in the city. You guys need to go find them. They're better than I am. You need to find better bands. Don't worry about us. This is the movement of God. This is the Father seeking after his children. It is not about us. It's about him moving among us. Now, We've had 30 baptisms. We've got more coming up. I can't wait. If you've never been baptized, you should be baptized. It'll be one of the very best decisions you ever make in your entire life. And our dream team, that is those people that serve, whether it's holding a door or you know, holding a baby or holding a guitar or holding whatever else. Um, these people that volunteer on Sundays, we have 118 people that will, that will volunteer, that will give us two or three hours on a Sunday throughout the week. And they don't do it because we pressure them. They do it because they want to be a part of this rescue mission, because they see that people's lives really are being transformed. There is change happening. The kingdom of God is growing, and all of a sudden, they realize that they can make a difference in this world. The party's growing, but we got to make some room. We have to make some room. I don't know how or why, but you guys are the most fertile people I've ever seen in my entire life. It's like you look at each other and a baby is made. So, on a typical Sunday, we'll have 220 people here, and 60 to 70 of them will be kids under fifth grade. It takes a lot of volunteers, it takes a lot of space to take care of that many kids, and we're committed to doing it well. Your kids are having a good time, they're having a biblical time, and they are going to be better for being here this morning. It ain't babysitting, that's for sure. But we need more space back there than what we have, because you guys keep popping these kids out. We're very fortunate here at Connect, we have on-site storage, so like all of our gear just gets packed into a case and it goes into the end of the closet, and we're out because we keep adding rooms for your kids and we have to buy more gear. I don't have any space anymore, so like I'm not sure what we're going to do. I drive a two-door Jeep Wrangler. My wife drives a Mini Cooper. We can't haul gear. We got to figure out some other way to handle the, the, the growth of this rescue party. Our worship theater attendance, it continues to grow. I mean, like, look around. We're two-thirds full, and we expect, you know, by the end of the year, this theater will be completely maxed out to capacity, which is wonderful. I mean, it's great. It's not about people being here. It's not about growth. It's not. I promise you guys it's not about that. It is about people whose lives are being transformed. And so we need to make some more room on the dream team. We need to give some more opportunities to serve. If there are 118 people that are serving through a four to six or maybe even an eight-week rotation, then we need to clear out some extra room. We need to create some artificial demand so that you guys can use the gifts and talents and abilities that God has placed inside of you. In short, we need to make some room. So we're going to make some room. You ready for the big announcement? I'm pumped about this, you guys. I really am. Starting on November 4th, 2018, just a few months from now, Connect Church is going to move to having two services on Sunday morning. We're going to be... I trust trust you're cheering because that means twice as many people will discover a father who loves them. We'll have a service at 9 a.m. We'll have a service at 10.30. There'll be options. 
You guys can come early and have the rest of your day, or you can sleep in and not worry about getting your makeup done in time. Whichever you prefer, it's okay. It's going to be awesome. We are really looking forward to it. They're going to be identical services. They're going to be hosted right here. If you come to the early one, it's going to be the same as if you come to the late one, okay? But in order to make this happen, we need you to move from the rescue party to the rescue party. Do you understand? In order for us to continue the mission, we want you guys to be a part of the party. We want you to celebrate. We want you to have a great time, but you can't stay there. We need you to leave behind the rescue party. Join the rescue party. Find a spot to serve on the dream team. Listen, you think you don't have anything to offer, and I'm telling you, that's what I thought too. Next thing you know, God's like, no, I put something inside of you that I want to call out of you, and it will make an impact on the world around you. God wants to use you to make a difference in Calgary. It won't happen until you allow us to help you discover and develop the gifts that God has placed inside of you. We want you to continue to invite people. Not so the church grows. That's a waste. It's stupid. Don't invite your friends and family so we have a full theater on Sunday. Invite them because you want them to discover a relationship with Jesus. That's what we're all about. That's why we're doing this. It's not until November. We've got a lot of work to do between now and then. Then we know that we need to add about 35 or 40 people to the dream team between now and then. And the more, the better. So when we have next steps, Next Sunday, we're not having it. We always take the last Sunday of the month off. But next Sunday, we want you to come back. We want you to plan for sticking around for 25 or 30 minutes after the service. And we are going to show you how you can get involved, how you can move from the party to the party. You can move from sitting on the sidelines to getting your hands dirty on the field and actually impacting the world around you. No matter what, my friends, we cannot stay here because God has called us into a mission, a mission that requires us to be active, a mission that requires us to go, a mission that requires us to seek, a mission that requires us to let people know that their heavenly father wants them to be found. If that's you this morning, you say, man, I've never thought about it, but God is calling my name. He is speaking to me. And I, I, I don't know, I need to respond. There is something that's calling out and I want to call back. I just want to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes. The way that you start a relationship with God is so simple. It's literally to answer his call. It's to pray and to say, God, I'm finally realizing that you've been pursuing me. I want to stop running and I want to embrace a relationship with you. So you might repeat these words after me. Dear Jesus, I need forgiveness and a fresh start. I need a relationship with you. My friends, if you just prayed that for the first time, Joshua's gonna give you some next steps. But I want you to know that is the start. That's the turning of the, the stopping of the running away and starting to run towards the God who loves you and who will never stop pursuing you.